Welcome back to our study of Philippians. We'll be looking tonight at Philippians 3, verses 4 through 9. This is probably the most famous passage in the book of Philippians, and justly so. It's a powerful passage where Paul describes his credentials as a Jew, the confidence he used to have in his own flesh and his pedigree and his accomplishments, and how he has counted all those things as garbage, rubbish, loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And so we're going to look at these verses together and uh, be encouraged by them, learn from them. Let me read them for us, beginning in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's just said that believers are those who put no confidence in the flesh. So then he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, remember the context here is that though the book of Philippians is a joyful letter, that it is mostly positive and encouraging uh, and so forth, there is a concerning situation going on in Philippi that Paul is addressing here in chapter 3. He's not only been uh, concerned that the Philippians be unified and uh, stand together around the gospel, but he's also concerned that there are some people who are advocating for uh, circumcision, advocating for uh, perhaps embracing the law, essentially for uh, needing to be a Jew in order to experience the blessing of God or fellowship with God or, or something along those lines. It's a very similar problem to what we find addressed in the book of Galatians, though there it, it appears to have been a, a much more um, prominent and prevalent problem because Paul is so um, vehement in the way that he addresses it and it takes up so much of the letter. Here at Philippi, it's still a serious issue, but it's not the main issue. It doesn't take up the bulk of the letter, but it is something that Paul feels compelled to address. So he said in verse 2 to watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. Those would be those people who are arguing that in order to be right with God, you have to essentially become a Jew if you're not one already. You need circumcision, uh, and with circumcision comes the requirement to obey the law. So then he says in verse 3, we are the true circumcision, right? We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, those of us who 
uh, our trust is in Christ. We are filled with the Spirit. We are, we're Christians, in other words. We are the circumcision, which is how uh, Jews were referred to in distinction from Gentiles. You can see that in Ephesians 2, I think it's around verse 11 or 12, that Jews were called the circumcision, Gentiles called the uncircumcision. Now Paul is saying, we who have the Spirit and who glory in Christ Jesus we are the circumcision. We are the people of God. It's not that the not that God is no longer has a specific plan for the the nation of Israel as a whole, but the church, the believers in Jesus Christ, we uh, are now God's people, Jews and Gentiles, uh, in one body, reconciled to God and to one another through Christ's death, and we are the people of God, and all the things that were. Or many of the things that were true of Israel in the Old Testament are now applied in the New Testament to the church, to believers, to Christians. And this is one of those places. We are the circumcision, Paul says. Um, and one of the things he says about those of us who belong to God, who are God's people, believers, is he says, we put no confidence in the flesh. Now think about what that means. Paul is he's um, opposing and warning the church about People who are insisting on circumcision. That, that is obviously an outward, physical right. It was important in the Old Testament. Abraham was circumcised. God instructed um, the, the people of Israel to circumcise their sons on the eighth day. It was an uh, important marker of God's people in the Old Testament. But with the coming of Christ, uh, now circumcision is no longer required for those who belong to Jesus. And uh, part of the way Paul says this is we don't, we don't put any confidence in the flesh. We, we are not standing before God upon anything that we have done or that has been done to us or, you know, even for us in a sense by another human being in, in our flesh. We, we don't care uh, about that. We put no confidence in that. That's not where we're, where we are putting our trust. And he says, essentially, the reason for that is not that none of us have any grounds for confidence in the flesh, and so we're just hoping that God will accept us anyway. No, Paul says, I've got more reason to put my confidence in the flesh than any of the rest of you. And yet, I'm not doing that because of the good news about Christ. So Paul's saying these false teachers, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh, they're trying to get you to think that what is done to your flesh, in your flesh, that that is essential for your standing before God. And what Paul is saying is, I've got those things and they're not worth anything to me. All right, so notice what he says, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So there's nobody who could say, well, Paul, you're just, you're just saying this because you don't quite have the resume required to have this right standing with God, and so you're hoping there's another way. No, Paul says, I've got a better resume than any of you. If we're comparing resumes of, of Jewishness, of uh, Things in our flesh, things about us, our birth, our accomplishments, or whatever, um, that would commend us to God. I've got more of those than any of the rest of you. All right, so that's not why I'm 
saying that those things don't matter and don't count. Right? So then he, he lists them. Right? Um, he says, verse 5, he was circumcised on the eighth day. So there, the false teachers are advocating circumcision as essential for a right standing with God. Paul says, I've got that. I was circumcised on the eighth day, which was what was required according to the law. And that was done for me when I was a child. And so I check that box off. I've got that. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. So he's not a Gentile who converted or anything like that. He's not an outsider. He belongs to the nation of Israel. He says he's of the tribe of Benjamin. So uh, he knows which tribe he belongs to. Benjamin is the tribe that uh, King Saul, the first king of Israel, came from. Probably that's who Saul was named after. And uh, so he knows he's, he's an Israelite. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. Then he says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, what does that mean? Um, it could just mean, you know, I'm a really excellent Hebrew, a really excellent Jew. But what the scholars tell us is that probably what he means by that is that he is a Hebrew-speaking Jew or an Aramaic-speaking Jew as opposed to a Greek-speaking Jew, right? So he's not just uh, of the people of Israel, circumcised, tribe of Benjamin, whatever, but he is a... He's a Hebrew-speaking Jew. He is, he's the real deal, right? All, all in. All right, so he's a Hebrew of Hebrew. And then he says, as to the law, he is uh, a Pharisee, right? Or was a Pharisee. Um, now, that's important. As you know, if, you've, if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, the Pharisees were one of the more significant groups of people in the nation of Israel during the time of, of Jesus and, uh, and afterward, where uh, there were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and so forth. The Pharisees were um, the people who took the law uh, the most seriously, as well as the traditions of the elders and so on. Um, they were strict and conscientious interpreters and keepers of the law. Now, Jesus, of course, exposed their hypocrisy. Uh, they left out some really significant things, right, that they should have been doing, that they weren't doing. Um, but it was not because they were not trying hard to keep the law. They were trying really hard to keep the law. Jesus just pointed out what a bad job they were actually doing at keeping the most important parts of the law, even though they were trying so hard. So, um, Paul was a Pharisee. He was serious about the law. He was serious about living in accord with the law. And not only that, he was serious about making sure other people, other Jews, lived in accord with the law. Look at what he says next, verse 6. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now, we could spend a whole study on this. This is a fascinating topic. One that um, I feel like I have learned a lot about just in the last few years um, that I, I had not put some of these things together for. And then reading um, some other things uh, helped me see this theme in Scripture and understand how it goes together. So um, in the Old Testament, for example, you go all the way back to the book of Numbers. There's this story about a man named Phinehas who uh, killed a Jewish man, and I believe it was a Moabite woman, uh, because there was 
um, some idolatry and immorality going on uh, among the people of Israel. And uh, Phinehas put a stop to it by killing this man who had brought this Moabite woman, this pagan woman, into his tent. Um, and he was commended for that. And he was it, that was an instance of zeal. Um, and uh, so scholars point to him as well as to Elijah, um, who you know faced down the prophets of Baal and and all that. Um, and then uh, the Maccabees. Have you ever heard of the Book of Maccabees? Books of Maccabees, which are not in the Bible, but do give us some interesting history um, of what happened between the Old Testament and the time of the New Testament. Uh, the Maccabees were people who were were a family who were they were zealous for Jews keeping the law and they fought against the Romans and and all the rest. So there's this history of what it means to be zealous, and uh, one of the things that being zealous uh, for the law seems to mean uh, was that you were willing to go to extre- what seemed to us extreme lengths in order to make sure that people were keeping the law. And so Paul says, you want to know about my zeal? You think about Phinehas putting to death that man and the Moabite woman he brought into his tent. You want to think about Elijah facing down the prophets of Baal. You want to think about the Maccabees fighting against the Romans and all the rest. Well, I was persecuting the church. I was rounding up Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah and were worshiping him. And I was persecuting them, throwing them in jail because Paul thought they were wrong. He thought Jesus was not the Messiah and he thought these people were dishonoring God by uh, following this man Jesus. And so his zeal was so strong, he wasn't just upset about the fact that there were Christians. He was doing something about it. He was willing to go uh, round them up and put them in jail. So he was a zealous Jew. And then he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, of course, uh, as we've said before, blameless does not mean sinless, right? Um, blameless does not mean you never sin. Paul's not claiming uh, sinless perfection. He's not even claiming that he thought he was sinlessly perfect before he met Christ. What he uh, is claiming is that he was a faithful keeper of the law. And that probably includes Paul's uh, thinking, when I did break the law or when I did become unclean in some way, I always took advantage of the sacrifices that were put in place to deal with those things. So under the law, I was not an outcast, an outsider. I was not you know, a high-handed lawbreaker. I was blameless. I did what the law, I strove to do what the law commanded. I didn't do it perfectly, but when I was aware of sin, I dealt with it according to the law also. Those kind of things, right? So he was a, a genuine law keeper um, and uh, an upstanding Jew, uh, a zealous Jew in the tradition of Phinehas and Elijah and the Maccabees. He was a Hebrew-speaking Jew. He was a Benjaminite. He was an Israelite. He was circumcised. I mean, Short of being the king or the high priest or something, what else could Paul have done to be a more uh, worthy and respectable member of the Jewish people? I mean, he's got the ideal resume. So what this means is if 
being a Jew, if keeping the law, if being circumcised, if all of that stuff could make you right with God, then Paul was already fine. He was already right with God. He didn't need anything else. He didn't need to become a Christian. He didn't need to throw all that away and start following Christ. If that's all you need, Paul already had it. Also, if that's what you need, there's no way a Gentile ever could have it. Anybody who is not a Jew, there's no way you could ever measure up to that resume. There's no chance, right? So um, Paul says, I, I had it. You guys are just sort of playing with it, just, just circumcision. I mean, that's just the first thing on my list. If you're going to start reckoning your standing with God based on your Jewishness or your ability to keep the law, you guys are way behind and there's no way you're going to catch up. It's just not enough. But Paul is, he doesn't stop there. He says, look, I had all of that, but I realized that before God, all of that was ultimately worthless. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, we want to be careful here because those things that Paul had, they were a real gain uh, in this sense. Paul talks about in, in Romans 3, 1 and 2, and Romans 9, 1 and 5, that there is a genuine advantage or privilege that comes with being a Jew. Right? The Jews had the scriptures, he says in Romans 3, 1 and 2. In Romans 9, 1 through 5, he lists a host of things, a host of privileges that were granted to the Jewish people. It's not as though he's saying, you know, it would have been better to be a Gentile and never have been a Jew in the first place. That's not what he's saying. They were real gains. They were real privileges. They were real blessings. The problem comes when you stand on those as though those things make you right with God. That's the thing that Paul said over and over to his Jewish brothers and sisters that they must not do. They must not stand on their Jewishness. They must trust Christ. The Messiah promised to the Jews, right, who would save Jews and Gentiles. Right, so he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All those good things that I had, I reckoned them up as though they were disadvantages rather than advantages or losses rather than gains because I wanted to have Christ. I wanted to know Christ. Verse 80 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Knowing Jesus is so good, so valuable, so uh, surpassingly worth every sacrifice that you can possibly make in order to have it that I gladly give up everything even if that means the only thing I have is knowing Jesus, because that's the only thing that really matters. It is the most valuable thing, the one truly essential thing. Right, so I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Think of all that Paul left behind, his reputation his status, his friends, and everything among the Jewish people that when he turned to the Messiah, he lost and left behind. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. 
You see, um, the thing is, you can't um, stand on your pedigree and your accomplishments and come to Jesus for salvation. You, you, you can't do both. Paul couldn't puff out his chest about his Jewishness and humbly kneel before Jesus and ask for forgiveness and salvation and all the rest. You, you can't do both. And so Paul says, I counted everything as loss in order that I might gain Christ, um, gave it all up right, so that I could have him. And then uh, here's the key verse, perhaps, right here in verse 9. He says, uh, and be found in him. So I wanted not only to gain Christ, but to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So here's what he's saying. What I wanted was not to have a righteousness that was mine, that I had tried to to build, where I could stand before God and say, look how zealous I was, look how Jewish I was, look how faithful I was, look how much I, how hard I tried to keep the law, how faithfully I offered the sacrifices. He didn't want to stand before God with that kind of righteousness. He wanted the righteousness that comes uh, through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. So he's saying what I, what Paul realized was what he needed was not a righteousness resume that he could present before God and say, look what a good job I did. Look what a good Jew I was. What he realized he needed and desperately wanted was for God to say, I have made you righteous. I give you my righteousness. Because you are in Christ, my perfect, righteous Son, by faith in Him, you've been united to Him, and so in Him, I now say of you, you are righteous. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus, the Messiah, has done. Not because of your works, but because of my grace. Not because of something I owe to you, but because of something I have given to you. Paul said, that's the kind of righteousness that I wanted. That's the standing that I desperately needed before God. And that's why he was willing to give up everything else. And so, uh, you, you cannot be proud and humble at the same time, right? You can't be proud and humble at the same time. You can't be saved by works and by grace at the same time. It's either grace or works. It's either pride or humility. And what Paul says is, I had all the reasons for pride, but I humbled myself because I recognized I needed Jesus. I I had all the works that anybody could accumulate to say, this is why God ought to accept me, why God ought to save me. I cast those aside in order to receive a salvation that is by grace. And praise God, it is by grace. Praise God that He has sent His Son to die in the place of sinners, rise from the dead. He lived a perfect life so that anybody who trusts in Him, anybody who turns to Him, anybody who humbles themselves and and calls upon Him, not only has their sins forgiven, but is counted righteous by God, is given God's own righteousness. So you don't need a resume. 
you just need a savior. You, you don't need a list of all the things you've done to impress God or to earn merit before God or, or whatever. What you need is what God alone can give, which is the gift of salvation, forgiveness and righteousness in Christ. And once you realize how desperately you need that and how freely God is willing to give that to all who come to him, there's nothing that's worth holding on to. There's nothing that's worth clinging to. You're totally willing to throw all that away, to count all of that as loss with Paul so that you can gain the one thing that matters, the righteousness that God gives to those who are in Christ.